0: Now we're at chapter 16, and once again, the Israelites are grumbling, and there are a few that are trying to mount an insurrection. I guess you could say they're trying to take over. If they were on a ship, this would be a mutiny. Okay, and uh, Donald, if you would put up that slide, that uh, last my my one and only slide. Pretty simple here. So this is what's happening. You've got Moses and Aaron, who Moses was the leader of the Israelites, obviously. Aaron, his brother, uh, was the, the priest, the high priest. He was a Levite. Moses, of course, was a Levite as well. So you've got these two leaders of Israel trying to hold it all together, trying to lead these obstinate, um, spoiled people through the wilderness. And then you've got these guys here. You've got a guy named Korah, who was also a Levite. And then you've got... Dathan Abiram, a guy named An, which is kind of a weird name, and then 250 other Israelites. And these weren't just normal guys. These were leaders of, of the, the different sections of the whole assembly of Israel, which was you know, over a million people. So you've got some head honchos here saying that we think we can do the job better than you. So they approach Moses, and they are trying to take over. So let's go ahead and get into chapter 16 here, verse 1. And I might paraphrase a little bit just to keep things moving. Uh, Korah, uh, who was a Levite, and these other guys, Dathan, Abiram, and An, who were all Reubenites, they were of the tribe of Reuben, and then 250 other people. They, in ch- uh, Verse 2, they rose up before Moses together, with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. These are some uh, important fellows here. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So in other words... We're tired of you. What makes you so high and mighty? Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, it's all about you. Well, God is with everyone in this tribe. The whole, All of Israel has the Lord. What's so special about you? So, when Moses heard this, I mean, this is after Moses had done so much for them. Uh, he, first of all, he led them out of Egypt where they had a miserable life, and they crossed the Red Sea, He got water out of a rock, and this is all through the Lord, of course. Um, He changed a spring from bitter water to sweet water. Um, What else did he do? Manna from heaven, he asked God to feed the people. Moses had done a lot for these people, but it wasn't enough, apparently. So uh, verse 4, Moses, when Moses heard this, he fell on his face, probably said a prayer. It doesn't say that, but I'm guessing he might have said a prayer right there. And then he spoke to Korah and all of his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Do this, Moses continues, do this. Take censers for yourselves, Korah and all of your company, and put fire in them, and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. So Moses is a little incensed here. (laughs) Um, and, And he comes up with a plan. And I would say this is Holy Spirit inspired. And he tells them, all of them, Everyone up here, he says, bring a censer tomorrow. And a censer is just like a fire pan. Um, They would bring these fire pans when they had to atone for the sins of their people. They would bring a fire pan, put hot coals in it from the altar, and sprinkle incense on it. So you'd have a, a scented smoke going up to the Lord. So they all had these censers. Moses says, bring your censer tomorrow, and we'll let the Lord choose who is his. So I'm going to skip down a little bit. Um, after Moses addressed Korah, so that everything right there, he was kind of talking to all of them, but he was looking at Korah. Korah was kind of a ringleader here. After that, Moses turns his attention to Dathan and Abiram, uh, these Reubenites. So skipping down to verse 12, it says, Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. Okay, so Moses said, okay, you two, come here. But they're like, "Uh, no, we're not going to come up. But then they go further in their insolence, I would say. What they say to Moses is, in verse 13, It is not enough that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us. Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields of vineyard and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So what he's saying is, I mean, this response is absolutely preposterous. <laughs> um, it is a ridiculous response. In verse 13, notice what he says here, the very first thing, out of his mouth. We will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of the, out of a land flowing with milk and honey? What's he talking about? What land? What land were they in that was flowing with milk and honey? He's talking about Egypt here. Egypt, where they had a miserable life. They were slaves. They were treated like dirt. How soon we forget? (laughs) You know, this is so typical. Of people, right? We, we always think that, uh, boy, we had it better back then. And, you know, it, this is such a ridiculous response. They were slaves and he calls it a land of milk and honey. But then he says, you would lord it over us. So, and he, and he accuses Moses here. He says, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. We have not received fields and vineyards that you promised us. So we will not come up. So uh, at this point, Moses gets really mad. Uh, My Bible says Moses became very angry. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I would say so. These ungrateful people are accusing him when it was them who prevented them from going into Canaan just a few chapters earlier. Those people said, oh, we can't beat them. We can't do that. Moses was trying to get them to the promised land, and these people said, "No, we can't do that." They chickened out, and now they're blaming Moses for them chickening out. So, needless to say, Moses is really angry here. He is furious. So uh, he's he's so you know this is one of those responses. Dathan and Abiram, these guys. Have you ever had someone say to you? Something that was so ridiculous and absurd and preposterous that you just didn't even want to answer them. Ever been there where you've done, you've gone above and beyond, and then someone just cuts you down and you just don't even know what to say, and you, you just probably turn away and leave because you don't even want to qualify that statement with a response. That is what Moses does here. He's furious, but he doesn't talk, he doesn't reply to them, he prays. But actually, it's not quite a prayer, even. He's so mad he tells God what to do. That's a pretty mad guy. you know that's, that's Moses uh, getting furious right there. Uh, verse 15. Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, "Do not regard their offering." So remember, these guys have their firepans, they have their incense, they're burning incense to the, the Lord to atone for sins like they, they routinely did. Moses says, do not regard that offering. And he's talking to the Lord. He doesn't even talk to them. Uh, Moses still talking to the Lord. He says, I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any of them, which is true. So Moses never even responds to them. He does not. It's one of those situations where what they said was so ridiculous, you don't even talk to them anymore because you're not going to get through to them. It's like a wall there, you know, it's, it's just not going to work. So you don't even try. So Moses says this to the Lord. And um, even though he told the Lord what to do, seemed to go okay for him. Uh, I think the Lord was thinking the same thing, actually. Um, it doesn't say that, but, um, you know, you'd have to be pretty bold to, to tell the Lord to do this or that. And that's what he does. Then he turns to Korah. Moses turns away from those yahoos over there. You don't know what they're talking about. And he turns back to Korah. He says, you and all your company be present before the Lord tomorrow, both you and they, along with Aaron. So everyone up here, Moses is calling out. He says, you and you and you, all you guys and my brother Aaron, be here tomorrow. Each of you, verse 17, each of you take his fire pan, his censer, And put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. Two hundred and fifty fire pans. Also you and Aaron shall bring his fire pan. So all of you guys, come back here tomorrow with your fire pans again. So they each took his own censer and put fire on it. I assume this is the next day. They each took their own censer and put fire on it, this is verse 18, and laid incense on it. And they stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. So they're all together at the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. They all have their firepans. And then uh, verse uh, 19, Thus Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. So now things are going to get interesting. The Lord has witnessed all of this happening over the past couple of days. Now he's there. It's time to throw down. Okay. So it's going to get pretty interesting here. Then the Lord speaks. Verse 20 The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them instantly. Uh oh. <laughs> Whoops. They really messed up. Um, Wow. God is not messing around at all. He has seen enough. He tells Moses and Aaron, get back, because I'm going to take them out. I'm going to annihilate. I don't know what consume means, but it doesn't sound too good, does it? But once again, despite all that's happened, Moses and Aaron intercede for these stubborn people. So verse 22. But they, they, Moses and Aaron, fell on their faces and said, Oh God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? Now they said one man, but it's more than one man. I, I just get the feeling that Korah is the ringleader here. He's the one that assembled them all together, got them all riled up and said, let's get rid of this guy. Uh, so Moses says, When one man sins, will you annihilate all of them? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. On is not listed here. I'm not really sure why. Uh, Then verse 25. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abiram, with the elders of Israel following him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing that belongs to them, or you will be swept away in all their sin. So they, verse 27, so they got back from around the dwellings of Abiram, uh, Korah, and Dathan. I would say so, <laughs> you know. Uh, if he says, stand back, something's going to happen, then uh, these people are not, not that dumb they're going to step back and uh, wait for whatever's going to happen to happen. And what happens is crazy. Um, This is one of those things I read before, and I guess I just forgot about it, and I read it again, and it was like, what? What happened? So, um, all right, so Dathan and Abiram, this is still verse 27, they come out and they stand in the doorway of their tents, along with their whole families. They're just like, what's going on? You know, they they don't seem to be aware that, well, bad things are about to happen for them. So they're just standing with their whole families. Moses says, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. He's right. These people brought it on themselves. It's not Moses that brought this on. Uh, And the next two verses are... To me, hilarious, because like I said, I'm a drummer, I have a weird sense of humor, and these next two verses are hilarious in a very macabre and morbid kind of way. Pretty funny what Moses says here. Verse uh, 29, he's talking to the people, he's talking to the Israelites. He says, if these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But, this is great, if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. So so he says, essentially he's saying, if these guys live a normal lifespan and die of natural causes, then you don't have to listen to me anymore. I'm no one. The Lord did not send me. But if, on the other hand, something you have never seen before happens, the ground opens up, these people fall into the ground, and the ground closes over them, and they disappear from your sight, maybe that means God sent me. And that, to me, that's just a funny response in a very... (laughs) Serious, macabre setting here, right? Um, so, as soon as he gets done talking, that is exactly what happens. The second thing. Uh, verse 31. Then it came about, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive, into Sheol, which is the realm of the dead, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly, just like that. So, that's the part where I was reading it, and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> what now? And I read it again, and um, that, I, I've heard this before, but it still um, is just kind of an amazing thing to me. Okay, Uh, this kind of thing doesn't happen, right? Um, When Moses says, if an entirely new thing happens, and he's not joking, this has not happened before. But we're not quite done yet. Because all the people saw this happen. And uh, verse 34, All Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, the earth may swallow us up. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. So uh, what happened here is these guys I've listed here and their families went down to Sheol. They were no more. And the others, the other 250 leaders of Israel, who were very poor leaders, they were burned up, scorched, burned alive. They were consumed instantly because of fire from the Lord. But there's one, actually there's a couple miraculous things still in this chapter. Um, I, I won't get into the last one. Maybe you can read that on your own this afternoon. But there's one more thing that happens that I almost missed. Um, verse 36, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, so this is Aaron, this is uh, Moses' nephew, Say to Eleazar, that he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze, for they are holy, and you scatter the burning coals abroad. And I just read over that, and I just kind of kept going, but then as I was studying to for you know speaking today, I read it again. I was like, wait a minute. Out of the midst of the blaze? Eleazar... Apparently, for if you read it plainly, apparently the fire is still going. Eleazar was ordered to go retrieve the censers of the 250 men that just died, retrieve them, and then what he's going to do with them later um, is hammer them. He's going to order the Israelites to hammer these censers, they're bronze, uh, heat them and hammer them into a plating to put over the altar as kind of a constant reminder to the Israelites. Oh yeah, I know why that bronze is there. That belonged to, to those 250 guys that tried to take over. Um, but I read that and if I'm reading this right, Eleazar walked into this blaze and retrieved these censers. Says he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze. Uh, that's kind of reminiscent of what happens much later About a thousand years later, you guys remember Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? They were also in a blaze, but they were not burned up. I don't know if that's a similar thing here, but it sure reads that way. Um, Eleazar, which is something I don't think I've ever heard, Um, but it sure reads like Eleazar walks into this blaze, gets these sensors and brings them out, and they hammer them into a plating to put over the altar. So um, this chapter, like I said, there's a lot going on here. The power of God is on full display in this chapter. And, you know, so what do we take from something like this? Because it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And a lot of people, when they read something like this, they, they come away with a weird feeling like, wow, God is harsh. He just burned those people up and he... He took those men and their families, and they just vanished into the earth. This is rough. Why is God so mean here? And they they take a view like you know they don't want to read the Old Testament because God seems like an angry God, and uh, a lot of people just stick to the New Testament, and they you know even Christians and they don't really want to read this stuff. I find it fascinating, and I, I think the New Testament needs the Old Testament for context. I mean, that's why we have both. And uh, the thing is, I would respond, um, there's not an angry God and a, and a congenial God in the New Testament. It's just God. God is God. He is just. He is righteous. He is, he is love. He is um, justice. You know, it's all of those things. God does not change. God was not different in Moses' time than he is today or than he is in Jesus' time. He's not different. So what do we take from this? What does this mean? Why is God so firm here, so obviously harsh? Um, Well, we have to remember. We have to remember, think about what's happening here. God is trying to build this nation. This is Israel. This is his chosen people. And it is critical that that this nation be brought up the way God needs it to be brought up so that the Messiah can come from this group, from this people. It has to happen, and it is critical. So if God isn't so harsh here with these insurrectionists here, if God is not so harsh, then maybe they win. Maybe they kill Moses and Aaron. And take over. Well, then what happens? Well, I tell you what doesn't happen, the nation of Israel does not happen, because these are not God's chosen leaders. And if they had overtaken Moses here, these people probably would have scattered. There would be no uh, uniformity, no uh, one, you know, single-mindedness of the group. They probably would have scattered abroad, been lost to this or that region there would not be a nation of Israel if God did not put a stop to this. Nip it in the bud, as, they, as we used to say. So if God didn't do that, there's no Israel, and if there's no Israel, there's no Christ. And if there's no Christ, there's no life. That is how critical this is to God's plan. God has a plan. And the, the entire world, the, the salvation of the whole world depends on it. So yeah, He's not messing around here. He annihilates these people, these folks here, these these poor guys. And you can, yeah, I mean, it's sad. It's sad what happened to them. But if it didn't, if it didn't happen that way, then God's plan would have been forfeited. And that's not going to happen because God has a plan for this world. He has a plan for everyone. And it requires a Messiah. It has to have Christ in it so that we can all be saved and be with him. You know, this is just the blink of an eye. Our time here on this earth is here and gone, and uh, the older I get, the more I realize how fast it goes. So um, it's quick. It's a short time, but eternity is eternity. It's forever. So if this plan doesn't happen, if this nation doesn't happen under Moses' leadership, it's not going to happen. And it's critical that it happens. It's essential that God's plan happen. So um, that's really, that's my closing. That's that's what I wanted to say to you all. And if it seemed a little too classroomy, <laughs> I apologize because not only am I a drummer, I'm a professor and that's kind of what I do for a living. This is how I interact with people Um, in this kind of setting. So this is a pretty straightforward sermon, probably not normal sermon, because I'm not a preacher. So um, I hope you'll forgive me if this was a little too classroom pedantic type of thing. But anyway, uh, if the the worship team would come up, and I also want to say that um, if Kevin could do the, the prayer at the end, if any of you just want to come up and pray, if you want to experience the saving power of Christ, and you've never done that before, and you'll know if you have, (laughs) you'll know. Um, Come up here and pray, and we can make that happen right now. If you have experienced the saving power of Christ, and you just have something that is heavy on your heart and you need someone to pray with, we'll do that too. We will pray with you. So let me get this off, because there's another reason I play drums, because I don't sing. You don't want me to sing. And we promise if you come forward, the earth will not swallow you up. (laughs)